folks. Welcome to the Creative Language Learning Podcast with Kirsten Amers. Hi everyone and welcome to episode 14 of the Creative Language Learning Podcast. I'm so glad to have you back. I hope you've enjoyed the last podcast that I produced, which was the interview with Becky Morales, who's bringing up four bilingual children in Houston, Texas. I just absolutely love talking to Becky. She was great. And we're, br we're continuing the tradition of bringing on really interesting and awesome guests and great conversations this week with Anthony Metivier, um, a very interesting man, a very unique take on language learning and on absolute benefits that boosting your memory can bring you. Anthony is a former memory championship contestant, he has a PhD, he's a film studies guy and he also owns a website called Magnetic Memory Method and on that website and on Udemy and on Kindle and whichever your preferred format is you can get so many tips on how to remember anything and most importantly for you guys vocabulary and grammar rules in language learning so that interview is coming up the article of the week and the tips of the week are all rolled into the interviews you can get it all in one go and just before we move on i want to share a little bit of feedback from jorge i hope i'm pronouncing you right jorge <laughs> jorge Civit, who commented and really endorsed the combination the, of the communicative approach and the grammatical language tuition that Becky and I were discussing. He says, it seems everybody is aware that the instruction most of us got in our foreign language classes at high school is not really a very effective approach by itself. But so often you hear and read comments from language learning adults saying that they don't need to study grammar to learn a language just because children learn to speak it without studying at first. And he says, I can't speak for everybody, but I think many others could really accelerate their learning by studying grammar and acquiring some analysis skills. And Jorge, I so agree with you. And I think that's really, really important to emphasize that if you're an adult learning a language, the communicative approach and all that immersion stuff, that's great, that's really good. But you are an adult, you have, you have grown up to usually, I mean, I can't speak for everybody, but usually you're gonna want to analyze the world around you and you're gonna want to draw those connections that, you know, just make sense of everything that happens. And that is essentially what grammar does. So don't damn, don't dismiss grammar. Um, try and use it at a stage where in your language learning, you're actually ready for it. And that is a theme that we're actually gonna revisit later on in the interview. And I don't want to keep you guys waiting any longer because this is an interesting one. So let's go and talk to Anthony Metivier. All right, so my guest on the podcast today, we're on episode 14. How cool is that? That's 14, almost 15, uh, heading up to 20. Um, my, my guest on the Creative Language Learning Podcast is Anthony Metivier. Anthony's from Canada, um, and I've sort of been aware of him for about a year because I heard him on a different podcast, and... First of all, I have to commend Anthony's lovely, lovely Twitter <laughs> activity because this is how I got in touch with you. I just posted um, a tweet saying, hmm, I wonder if that nice Anthony Mativier would like to talk to me. And he did. <laughs> so I've been a guest on your podcast. Um, and while you are not a polyglot language obsessed language expert perhaps you are somebody who really contributes to the language learning space and in a very very interesting way because you've so you've so specialized Anthony um, in memory so you're all about remembering all this stuff and all about finding the best method to really dig deep into how we can remember rules and vocab and all this stuff and I think the method that you work with is called memory palaces. I think it's very in-depth. If you could just give a little overview of your sort of memory empire <laughs> and all the different stuff that you do, because I know you've got books and I know you've got, you know, your website, a blog, a podcast, um, but what is sort of the best place people can look first? Well, my website is magneticmemorymethod.com and... I guess what I would say to preface everything is you use the word empire and 
that's what I try to get people to do is create an empire in their mind and be the emperor or empress of their kingdom of memory. And you know, the memory palace is sort of the central feature. But the reason why is because the word uh, mnemonics means any technique that helps you remember something. And memory palaces are so grand and wonderful because you can use virtually, if not literally, if not every single other memory technique inside of a memory palace. So what is a memory palace anyway? Well, it's a mental construct that you create based on a location, and it can be an imaginary location, which is not recommended, or a real location, which is definitely recommended, at least for, for beginners. And you just cr recreate it in your mind and there's various ways to do it and it doesn't really require that you see it in your mind although a lot of people like to do that you just need to have a structural sense and most of us do if I ask you where your kitchen is in relation to your bedroom you can describe that and that's the basis of it and if you can do that then you can imagine that there's something on your kitchen counter and imagine that there's something on your bed and those images that you create help you recall information because you're associating something abstract with something that you already know and that's really how all learning works one way or the other and you're just deliberately engineering it in combination with locations that you know by default and can go to in your mind. Mm -hmm. I, yes, so essentially we're looking at with a memory palace and the, the kind of thanks for taking a step back and sort of giving a giving a real a real good description of it you're you're using somewhere that you already know in your head that you already know what it's look what it looks like because you see it every day and you're adding to it connections to new stuff that you want to learn so that it sticks better and i think associating is one of the you know i mean i wrote the vocab cookbook last year and you were you were a part of it actually um and i tried to sort of build up this um these different recipes for how you can learn vocab um and as i built up i went to okay so you can you know associate linguistically and just go from uh, cognates and words that you already know that looks familiar you can take it one step further and do association and you know associate an image or a concept in your head with this um, and if you go one step further, you sort of get to the memory palace. So it's it's ever more powerful the more associations you build in your mind. Because like you say, brain is all connections, isn't it? Yeah, and certainly the mind thrives on connections, on making connections. And you can make that super easy by identifying the kinds of things that your mind enjoys working with. So one of the things you can do is just make a list of all the actors that you like and then get a picture of them in your mind and then, you know, think of them doing different things to each other, which maybe is a little bit racy for some people, but, you know, you can you can really build up your imagination just by thinking of the things that you enjoy and that you like. And then when you encounter abstract information, you can use Al Pacino or the Joker or My Little Pony characters or whatever the case may be, and you can have them interacting with abstract information that will make it much more familiar to you in instantly. It makes me think of that, um, you know, the, the last year's Oscar selfie, which many people have looked at so many times. And you sort of know this has got Kevin Spacey in it somewhere and it's got Angelina Jolie in it somewhere and it's got Ellen DeGeneres in it somewhere and it's got this person and that person. Um, and that could be a really sort of cool place to start because it's this picture with lots of components that you've looked at so many times. And then you can just imagine, okay, Kevin Spacey's got a hat on or something like that. And you build up, you know, you could use that to remember, say, words in a wardrobe. Exactly. Oh, good. I'm glad you said it exactly and not, that is the worst example ever. <laughs> no, I mean, if you were trying to remember a, a difficult word in a new language and you could connect it to Kevin Spacey in your wardrobe or on your dresser, then you just made things so much easier to yourself. And, and it's just, it's really incredible. And you really got to get into it and try it because it's it's miraculous and there are only a few barriers that people encounter mm -hmm. in, in terms of getting success with it. 
I agree. And if you are creative with what you're learning and your imagination is very active, which I think language learning stimulates the imagination anyway, um, if you kind of just go with it and associate rather than feeling you have to follow a specific rule, I think it's quite easy because one of the main objections to this sort of association or memory palace method that I hear from people is, oh my god, it's such a faff, you know, it's so much effort, I just can't be bothered with all this, like, and then I have to remember this, and then I have to do a spreadsheet, and actually, it's not like that, is it? It's just, it's just, think about how this new thing relates to something you already know. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, one thing that you said is that language learning uh, ignites or anyway, right? But that's not exactly true for a lot of people. It shuts it down because you're looking at verb tables and you're looking at this and you're looking at that and it's just overwhelming and you have no personal connection to it and it's just run screaming from the tasks of language learning. So one of the things that this does, and you're right, some people look at this and say, this is so much work to build all these memory palaces and follow up with different exercises to ensure that you've gotten the material in long-term memory. But it, it it's really just a matter of setting yourself up and getting used to it, which most people I find when they are using magnetic memory method techniques is they just get it done in about two to five hours and you're sailing after that. There's really very little more to do. You just start memorizing and then you look at a verb table and you know what to do with it. You know how to memorize it, and you can remember. You can memorize the the rules for regular verbs in one memory palace, and the general rules for irregular verbs in another. Then you have crib sheets basically in your mind, and those things no longer shut you down. If you're the kind of person that is shut down by mm -hmm. by these abstract, weird concepts, and you know, yeah, basically it's math. You're just looking at math a lot of the time when you're opening a language learning book so what a different perspective that is on language learning as well for me uh as a learner it's always been <sighs> not i mean i don't i wouldn't go as far as saying hey verb tables really excite me but i always have loved the way that they bring order into something that seems on the surface chaotic so hearing a foreign language is like blah, 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 i don't understand a word and then you sort of, you know, you, you get into grammar and it's sort of, it, it, it's like tidying your bedroom and it, it all looks so neat and wonderful. And it's, I've, I've always found this really helpful. So you, you, you have this different perspective that I should really take note of. And a lot of people I think really do relate to, which is all about the overwhelming aspects of language learning, seeing a verb table and feeling like, oh my God, this is just too much. I'm never going to remember all of this. Because um, you just don't have that idea of where it really slots into the language. And one of the things I really wanted to pick up on there is, is this idea of feeling inadequate and it, it all feeling a bit too much. And I think that's what memory palace building and word association um, and language learning in general have in common, which is... The fact that some people just don't feel up to it and they feel like I'm just not the person that can do this. I don't know whether you've ever felt this way because I know you you know you live in Germany so, as a Canadian and you must you know you must have learned German at some point and did you ever feel like it's all too much and I can't do this? Well sure and you know, it's interesting to hear you say that verb tables and so forth give you the sense of order because the kind of person I am, and I know lots of people are like this, I look at that and all I see is chaos and all I see is frustration. And I just wonder why can't they just make this clear? Because there's this column and that column and... But it's so uh, clear, it's a grid. And... I'm no, just like, it's not go clear. and look at the grid. That's like, I, all my students, I'm like, a grid, a grid, here's a grid. It'll help you forever. <laughs> but, it, but it but it isn't clear because it's got, you know, uh, forward slashes and dashes. And it's just, it can be absolutely frustrating to the point of no return. And that's unfortunately what happens mm. a lot of time. Because... I think if you bring it in too early, it does. If you kind of go, I'm going to learn German and you start off with a verb table, then good night. But it's it's when you it's when you encounter them, isn't it? It's it's to encounter them at a stage where you you actually have a question of why does this do this, and then you could go, oh, it does this because here is the rule. 
you know, not everybody is like this, but I personally find that so many language learning books, you have to learn how to learn. You have to learn how to read the language learning book before that you actually can actually, you know, you can get down to receiving the wealth of information that's there. And they don't spend enough time explaining themselves. And they sort of cram a lot of things into these verb tables with forward slashes and dashes that are never explained anywhere. So you kind of, it's easy to get lost in all of that. And so, yeah, that's that's something that I've felt a lot when looking at any language, regardless whether it's German or, or French or Spanish or whatever it may be. It's almost as if these books are meant to exclude people rather than include them. And maybe there's an industry uh, angle to this where the whole teaching industry, you know, feeds itself off of books that are impossible to penetrate for the majority of human beings. And uh that could well be. I mean, that would be the Victorian education uh, theory of uh, conspiracy to build uh, schools that people have to suffer through in order to, you know, be compliant citizens. But the whole, that, that, there's real barriers to entry that that wow. are unnecessary. Yeah, and yeah. You can, if you can figure out a way to harness the power of your imagination and make your own forms of organization based on things that are already organized by default, which is what memory palaces are, then you can give yourself a basically a weapon of integration so that when you look at that stuff, you know where you're going to stick it in your mind in advance, and it makes it a little easier to decode. Tell me more about, because I'm so not unfamiliar with this, but even maths formulas which I just, completely impenetrable. I just look at them and I'm like, uh-huh, yeah, good, that's for that's for somebody else in this world, whatever. Um, please put me in the other side of the room. But, you know, there's still this sort of sense of order. So tell me more about the, the overwhelm and the, the inadequate feeling that it, it would raise in somebody like you. Well, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's the feeling that there's no way to move ahead. There's no clear explanation. No one is really clearly explaining, do this, do this, do this, and they can't. There is no uh, yellow brick road to uh, to the kingdom of Oz. But at the same time, it just seems that there's a, there's a deliberate ignorance of the actual needs that people have, and they've put it all into graphs and tables and, and you know, but a lot are, and there's a, there's just a, a feeling of really wanting to give it up because there doesn't seem to be a clear path. And then we've got some new things, and these are online programs that sort of walk you through stuff, and you click buttons, and you type in words, and that ha has its uses as well, but then they lack the actual uh, explanations altogether. So... And and plus they work on beating your head with a hammer of repetition. So I don't know. It, to me, the middle ground seems to be actually learning how to learn the language learning techniques in and of themselves and then having a kind of a dedicated memorization strategy to reduce the cognitive overwhelm. How did you get to, in yourself, how did you get to the point of realizing, okay, what is already out there just doesn't work for me was it a sort of did you know right from the start that this just doesn't work for you and you need a different approach or was there a did you struggle through it well it's kind of a longer story but i i learned to save my my butt when i was in this deep depression and i couldn't concentrate and i couldn't read and i found that these techniques were beautiful because they didn't require me to be able to concentrate. They just required me to follow a few simple rules and then I could memorize anything that I wanted. And no matter how bad I was feeling with depression and mania and all these things that I have in my personal, I could rely on this simple thing because no matter how strange things get, you could still remember where your bathroom is, right? You can still remember where your kitchen is and you can see the things that you've put there. So, I managed getting my PhD despite all the odds, and that was really great. And I did a second MA in Switzerland and was starting to learn German and so forth. But I knew right away that the classes were not going to help me. They weren't helping me at all, but I still 
through them. And one day it suddenly occurred to me, why don't I use these memory techniques to help me learn this German? And, you know, maybe then the classes will be easier because I'll be equipped with uh, some tools. And it actually took a while to figure out how to use memory techniques for language learning. And it's still an ongoing process because each person that I encounter, you know, needs a, to adapt it to themselves, although there are universal guiding principles. But once that I figured that out and I thought, uh-huh, so I can really get rid of the SRS, I can get rid of the flashcards, or I can at least use them in a memory conscious and a memory favoring way that doesn't involve this rote hammer of repetition against my skull. A, a softer, imaginative approach, one that uses my creative, natural, imaginative abilities and really honors the power of the human mind. And so, I mean, we can go into exactly what all these techniques are, but they are very, very organic. And I'm always really awed by people who say that memory techniques are, are, um, are artificial and that all these other language learning techniques are natural because oh, I can't... I, I hate SRS. <laughs> not, not I hate SRS. Okay, so God, this is where people switch off the podcast. Okay, I don't hate <laughs> SRS, but I have never used Anki. I have tried to use Memrise. If it's on a computer, I somehow don't get it. And it doesn't... I don't... It's really hard. And I... I can sort of Well, there's no denying things that people in... get success with it. And the, yeah, yeah. Well, there's this... no... But only when they build a richer system, you know, like, I mean, but I've talked to Gabriel Weiner a lot about this and people sort of go like, you know, the, the, the thing I really liked that he sort of put out was, um, yeah, of course you can have my whole system and all my flashcards for learning Chinese. They're not going to work for you because you haven't built them. And this is the important thing is like, if you don't build your own, whatever works for you, it's not going to work because this is, this is the thing. Like it, sometimes people criticize uh, blogs and language uh, tutors and stuff like that for for saying oh well you know or for saying okay here is an essential principle that works and they say well where is the step by step I want to know exactly how to do this and it's so difficult to say you open yourself up to having somebody completely waste their time uh, because there is no one way for it all to work and you've got to know in your gut what feels right and just like how you were saying um, at university you knew you knew this isn't working for you language lessons for one reason or another aren't working for you in that particular way um, and I just want to get back to that because I think that's so interesting that do you think there is a level of, you know, a memory palace in a place where you feel overwhelmed, you feel your confidence fading, you feel that, oh God, you know, everything is foreign, everything is alien, it's so difficult and I don't feel invited into this new world. Do you think there's a level of memory palaces giving you a level of comfort psychologically, like a comfort blanket because you can relate things to stuff that you already know in your life? Yeah, sure. I mean, unless it's a rickety old building, it's it's very comforting place to go. And and also it's comforting that you can go into your past and build many of them and you can also go into new locations and build new ones just on the fly and you're never going to run out of them because there are more buildings on the on the face of the planet there are more buildings probably in your city than you'll ever be able to use up so that's very comforting but you can go to positive places and just think ah in the corner there's this image that reminds me of the word triskaidekaphobia or there's a <laughs> image in this word that reminds me of the word simperlish or whatever the case may be right Yes, and, and uh, this reminds me of the book The How of Happiness, which I've recently sort of read. And God, I'm going to have to... Sonia Lyubomovsky, I'm sorry, I've, I've murdered her name. But it's she's a PhD scientist and she's done a lot of research into happiness and come out with these sort of general methods of meditate, uh, you know, be grateful. But there is one that was cherish happy memories. And the way that you're talking about this makes me think, you can really use memory palaces as a psychological tool, or not just memory palaces, any, you know, like any association building um, as a psychological tool. And it can actually make you happier in your language learning because you can associate your words with memories that you actually like. Yeah, sure. And, you know, this is a little bit beyond the rubric of language learning, but 
there's there's that's where i want to be (laughs) yeah yeah but there's a lot of things you can do like if you had a bad memory you could transport that bad memory into a home that you really really love and had great memories or a building like a, a classroom or a museum or whatever you could take that memory and imaginatively place it into that positive space and work with it drain it of color make it black and white make it really small maybe there's a trash can there and you toss it in the trash can and these are these are mental imagery games but they can have an amazing positive effect for working through some issues and i've done it myself and i've talked to other people who have used this sort of approach and it really can help a great deal because of the strength of the technique in and of itself and then doing it inside of an imagined or a remembered location that you're using your imagination in. And so there's a lot of trauma that can can be healed using a memory palace. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's actually fascinating stuff. And again, it reminds me of what you were saying earlier about the overwhelm of you know any aspect of language. Because I think whether it's verb tables that you start or whether it's immersion learning, which I personally think for a brand new starter, immersion learning, I can't imagine anything more terrifying. Um, but some people like to do scary stuff. So whatever it is, language learning is leaving the world that you're in and going into a different kind of world and opening up you know, new perspectives and all this stuff. Um, and you know, as we're talking about overwhelm, um, I really like the idea of using the association of, you know, that's the sort of more, more than the mechanical side of a memory palace where it actually becomes a support. Yeah, it's not meant to be overly morgan, uh, overly mechanical. It's meant to be organically. It's it's like an organic roller coaster ride. You know, uh, a what? It's an organic roller coaster ride. So a memory palace, you're basically laying some tracks and you're going to get in a car and go along those tracks. Mm-hmm. But but it's there's no metal, there's no steel, there's no fiberglass, there's no <laughs> windows or anything like that. It's all just an imaginative construct that is flexible. And, you know, it's like staging a play or a number of plays. A lot of people think about these images that you create in a memory palace as movies, but they can't be movies because movies are exactly the same way. They're the exact same frames of film every time you play them. You might be different, but the film is the same. And the images that you create in your mind as you move from place to place in your memory palace, you restage them. They're really a performance that is never going to be the same way the same time, which is part of the power of it all. It's because in restaging it, you're exercising your memory. It, it, the, the play is helping you remember itself, but you're always actively restaging it, which makes you stronger and faster while familiarizing yourself with what you're trying to remember. And it becomes a, a perfect circle, really. And there's great power. And then you learn to improvise and you learn to do a lot of things on the fly and just memorize while people are talking to you and someone you, you're in a, in a conversation in a language you don't know you say oh what does that word mean and they tell you what it means and then you just make an image you stick it in the corner or you stick it on their shoulder or wherever you want to do it and you've given yourself a massive chance of, re- of recalling it and of course you want to use it right away as soon as you can and maybe write a sentence or a paragraph around it but there's a, a huge benefit from using your imagination to to hold on to that word create an image around it, and then actually place it somewhere so you can find it where you created that image. The most basic part of doing that before you, you know, if you find that memory palaces and all this stuff is a lot of work, what I do when I learn a new word, no matter what it is, um, and I remember some years ago I was in Turkey and I had learned to shekur edrim, which means thank you, um, and I bought like a Coke or something on a kiosk in, in in Izmir. And I was like, what I do when I learn a new word is I'm very, very pleased with myself. So I'm just like giving this guy this beaming smile. And I'm like, Tishek, your Edrim. Uh, look at me, I speak Turkish. And he said, Rija Edrim. And I'm like, what? Rija Edrim. Tishek, your Edrim. Rija Edrim. So Rija Edrim is, you're welcome. And I was like, ah, oh, okay, okay, I've learned, I've learned this new thing, I've learned this new thing. The first thing I do in my head is imagine what it looks like written down. 
and it's the first image that I get. So I, I look at, you know, because, I mean, okay, again, it works if it works for you. I'm a very good speller, so things do work for me in that way. I have a very good connection built between the letters and the sounds, etc. But if I can't visualize a word, I find it really hard to remember it. So I'm always that person who goes, how do you spell that? Because I need to, I need to really know how you spell it. I need to write it down in my head. I need to have the first visual of it. Well, that makes perfect sense uh, for, for many people. And if someone has a str has struggles spelling, then there are also imaginary techniques that can help with that as well. But at the end of the day, there's there's so many different ways that people go about things and there's no right or wrong to it. But one thing that is certainly problematic is is giving up and not not continuing to go forward because something is proving to be an a barrier and instead of you know trying to climb over it or go around it you can sometimes just go in a different direction and find a, an exit an entrance somewhere else yeah do you know that feeling of um the invisible progress or the, the fact that you you feel like you're doing all the work and you're just not getting anywhere yeah, the, yeah. The idea that uh, when you're not feeling the progress is when you're feeling when you're actually accomplishing the most. Yeah, and and that sort of thing. Well, you, and and the question, the internal question of, am I just telling myself this, and I'm not actually making any progress, and what is it that I need to do, um, or is it is is this real, and I can trust, you know, I can trust the system. And I mean, what I usually say to people is, you do have to trust the system, but you have to keep challenging yourself too. Um, but I, I mean, for you in particular, because you talk about giving up, are you familiar with that sense of, I'm not getting anywhere, I'm just going to leave this? Have you ever given up anything, or do you are you a fighter? Well, I've I've temporarily given up, or at least I've entertained giving up to the point that it was a dark night of my soul. And uh, but fortunately, I've always sort of seen the consequences of what would happen if I really did give up, and they're so painful that I get back on the horse. But there are also occasions where you do have to quote unquote give up. Like, well, give up isn't the right word, but I was playing in a band and I got really bad arthritis to the point where I. I, the last concert I played, I actually threw up in my mouth because the pain was so bad standing there and playing. And I wouldn't call that giving up as such. I would call it ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a level of, you know, self-care that you also have to, you have to put yourself first. Right, and it's just not fair to the other guys, even though we, we would have liked to carry forth, and I certainly would have liked to carry forth, but you just can't, uh, there's a certain point where that's not giving up, it's just it's just sensible. And then I didn't give up playing music, I just started to play a different style and not play on stage. So, uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's just finding another entrance when you hit a wall, and it was... Uh, Mm -hmm. I, I don't. I wouldn't say that it's being a fighter. It's more being an athlete. Being, so, uh, at that point, the the idea of visualizing the consequences is really powerful to me. Or is it? Is it a visualization? Or is it? It's. A, can you imagine if somebody's thinking, "Oh, you know, I'm just this Russian learning very nice, but really, what's it ever going to do for me in my life? I don't care. I'm just going to leave it." If it if it doesn't feel like there will be a big consequence, what do you advise to somebody who wants to give up? Well, find something that there will be a consequence for. Yeah, is it is it you just world, if you're um, not that bothered, you know, why are you doing it in the first place? Is it that do you think? Yeah, I mean, there should be some fire under your backside because otherwise, what's the point? What's the point of of doing anything? You know. Uh, there should be some motivating factor there or, or well actually maybe there shouldn't be i mean we can't make giant sweeping statements there can be things that you just do and you don't know why and uh, no, I, I i believe this i really believe this i think if you're doing something you've got to be driven i really like you know i, I think you're right i think you're right there should be some fire under your backside you should you should have the drive and you should feel like if I give this up, there will be a consequence. Because otherwise, why did you start? 
and you will have started for a reason. So reconnecting with the reason is really powerful. Well, one example I can give, which is not a clear-cut answer, but something that did happen was I was in graduate school. I'd gotten a certain distance into my PhD and overcome a bunch of barriers and so forth. And then it became very clear to me that I was probably never going to get a job in academia. I didn't want to follow the rules. I just disliked the community of the academic world or at least many aspects of it. And there was just no real reason to complete a PhD anymore. And so I had to find in myself a reason to do it. And one of which was that, you know, I needed to symbolically destroy my father <laughs> because he always uh, told, repeated again and again that he had only had the opportunity to go to grade three and I should be so thankful that I could go to school and so forth. So one of the ways to, you know, get revenge on having to hear that so many times was to completely go to the top. And the other thing that motivated me was simply that, I would never let myself live it down. If I didn't complete the PhD, I'd started it. And I'd seen so many people drop away and have really bad feelings about it. And I thought, I can't, I can't do that. If nothing else, I have to complete it for the sake of having started it. And I'd invested so much. And I really genuinely loved knowledge to the point that there is a kind of marker. There's a kind of a finality to it, a wholeness to it, if you complete this thing that is a rite of passage in a particular world. And it, so those sort of things put a fire under me, but there was no longer any practical use. And I no longer had the driving passion to go and write academic articles that no one was going to read and give lectures that, you know, maybe 25 people were going to forget five minutes after walking out of the lecture hall. I completely lost that, especially seeing the politics that go on in graduate programs and in undergraduate programs amongst the people. Like that put the fire out. So I had to find a different fire. And I don't know if those were the right reasons or the wrong reasons, but that's what I found and that's what I went and did. And I don't regret it. No. And oh my God, I think that's a massively powerful story. And to say, to, to really say what I did, I did for reasons that were important to me, not the practical use. And you often hear this with people saying, um, I mean, Chris Brohom has, has asked me this several times, like, do you think there's any point in learning Latin? Do you think there's any point in learning Esperanto? Do you think there's any point in learning this? Because there aren't many people speaking it and what's the point? But God, how much I relate to and love what you're saying there about, you know, even beyond the practical use, there are other uses, you know, saying I wouldn't let myself live this down and I can walk around knowing I completed this PhD and I will forever get the boost and the personal pride that comes with this. That's a thousand times more important than, than getting a job in academia, isn't it? Well, yeah. And at the end of the day, it also has to do with just wrecking there's a there's power in in daring to recognize your own motivations good or bad so yes you know i also i, I talked about you know quote unquote symbolically destroying my father which is you know freudian speak but i think that also you know as an artistic person who's written novels and so forth i've recognized as i've grown older that a lot of the things that i was writing was also trying to compete with my heroes and trying to you know, meet them. And that was just a failing, a, a failing game. You can't, you can't ever meet them and you can't ever succeed them or in the Freudian speak, uh, symbolically destroy them with your efforts. You kind of realize that you're doing that and then go in a different direction and go in your own direction. And that's where I think all artists ultimately mature in their work, to use that horrid phrase that we often hear, that this is a mature artwork. But that's essentially one of the things that we mean, is that the person has gone beyond their fixation with competition and, mm -hmm. uh, and just really created something. So competing with our heroes in language learning, what does that mean? Well, people who identify the the accomplishments of others and use that as the basis for their own goals. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that in and of itself, but it can be also destructive because it's placing a false goal on things because, you know, uh, conquering 75 languages and conquering a certain amount of each language not really a, a that is achievable or 
identifiable. You can't even define it. So by seeing someone else and saying, oh, this person has seven languages or this person has eight languages, well, I mean, it's just you, you can compete with it and you can use it as an inspiration or or try to somehow uh, outmode them by doing more as if, you know, in, in the memory competition world, it's always a game of memorizing one thing more than the, the person before you or one second faster than the person before you. And that's competition. I mean, there, there's actually can be in some of the competitions money involved in a significant amount. But in language learning, um, well, maybe there is there too. If you know seven languages and you can have seven stock markets uh, under your control, I don't know. But the nonetheless, we, we just see a lot, especially amongst the, the younger people, a lot of uh, uh, competitive spirit in in a place where there really is no contest the 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 goal is is individually de defined and you really need to to think about what you're going to get out of it yes. in terms of you need to find your own reason you need to find your own why and your own you know I keep coming back to this expression that you used earlier you need to find your own fire under your backside you do and you can't your fire can't be well, Richard Simcott speaks 15 languages, so I must be able to do it too. That's not really something that's going to keep you happily going. It's going to keep you going, but is it going to make you happy? I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, well, when you put a, put a number on it, I mean, is it really about the number of languages or is it about the understanding of language in and of itself that the person is achieving? And I think that I think that that doesn't have to do with numbers. It has to do with adding shades and uh, and also the ability to communicate and understand. Yes, and that brings but, me to that brings me to because I've got to segue. Um, as much as I would like to talk to you for hours, but I think the podcast listeners aren't going to have patience with it if I put out like a three-hour podcast. No one's going to listen, <laughs> sadly. But. That brings me to very interestingly. You'd be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe it's just not what I, just I listened do. To, I just listened to 40 hours of the Nerdist podcast nonstop and I couldn't get enough. I'm going to go down and I'm going to go download a bunch more and bind them all together for, for my uh, MP3 player. Yeah, actually, I admit I listen to um, a Buffy podcast and I always wish that, you know, it's dusted. They're rewatching Buffy because I love Buffy. Nothing, ah, okay. I, I love nothing more than Buffy. Um, so I'm re-watching it for the end of time. I've always believed that people who are interested in something, they want it by the pound, which is why I put out so much material is because people constantly ask me for more. So yeah, you're right. You're it, right. It's a, it, bring in the telephone books if you're interested in telephones, you know. Uh, which brings me nicely to the idea of a more in-depth, um, perspective on language learning and that is something I wanted to cover in this week's article of the week which is actually a humorous article it's quite a quite a fun little one um, and it's about uh, being an expat in Germany and you're an expat in Germany and I am a German expat in Britain so we've got a lot of stories to tell um, and I want to talk about this in the context of the the, the richness of experience that you can get from just one language, which I think a lot of polyglot circles sometimes overlook, that you know, you, you do get this competition feeling that you've got to pick up 15 languages, otherwise you're you're not I don't know, you're not valuable or something. Um, but really I think there is such a rich and never-ending wealth of experience from really completely deep diving into not even just one language, because I live in Britain, right? I live in one shade of language, and you live in Berlin, which is one shade of language. You said earlier you've lived in Switzerland too, so I think you know what I mean, that, you know, there's 50 shades of German, right? And 10 million shades of English, and Indian English is still English, and Canadian English is still English, but they're all slightly different. So in this week's article of the week... Um, I've got the Relocate blog, um, which is, is kind of about expat living, etc. And Kate is a Brit who lives in Germany. Um, and she listed 20 things that 
Um, she says the struggles of expats living in Germany. Um, one that I really, one that I really, really liked is uh, feeling like a rebel without a cause when you cross the road before the man turns green. Because everywhere else people cross on red when there's no traffic, but in Germany, red means red and green means greens, and you you get the look when you cross on green. Oh, cross on red. <laughs> Um, and did you connect with any of these in particular? What are your sort of observations about life in Germany? No, to tell you the truth, I, I didn't connect with a great deal of them <laughs> because uh, I guess I don't get out enough or whatnot. But I found I, I find that my experience of Germany is is completely different than a lot of these list posts because, well, I don't know when you travel as much as I have, you get to a new city or a new country and there's always this kind of feeling like, ah, this is like everywhere else. And the the differences really are outweighed by the similarities in so many places. But of course, you're right that there are 50 shades of German. And I would say that there are 50 shades of German inside of Berlin in and of itself. And <laughs> When I had to, when I had to, when I had to get a new girlfriend, no, when I had a new <laughs> girlfriend, uh, I had to learn German again because. Did you return she... the old one? <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> no, no, I didn't. But uh, no, I'd been divorced, and then things move on. But yeah, <laughs> uh, my new girlfriend, she is 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 uh, East Berliner and grew up before the wall was torn down and. I really had to relearn a great deal of German to be able to communicate with her, not just in terms of accent, but word selection and thinking behind mm. the word section, uh, word selection. And uh, it was quite an experience and it added a lot. And when I lived in Saarbrücken, there was a particular way to understand the use of certain words and the 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 grades of politeness and what actually isn't impolite but seems really strange when someone comes up to you and says mm, you know <laughs> <laughs> that's what we that's what we do because it's 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 west germany it's on <laughs> yeah <laughs> which is but which is just like hey how are you doing that's that's all yeah. that means right <laughs> yeah yeah but and you know it's not just the word but it's actually the timing because i've tried it myself and i can never time it correctly <laughs> and so the <laughs> The, the word is correct, the pronunciation is okay, but the timing is so off that they just are like, what are you talking about? Oh, you, you, you have to do it, <laughs> so it's best you have to do say. it before any other greeting. It's literally the first thing you say. Yeah, yeah, you have to be the first, that's the thing. <laughs> yeah, you have to be the first, and you can't say, hallo, on, because then you've already messed it up. You have to go on, or at least where yeah, I yeah. come from, which is nearish Saarbrücken. Yeah, yeah, well... But yeah, you know, the thing with the ample man and going before the man turns green, I am constantly blown away by the discipline that Germans have for waiting for permission to cross the road. And uh, the other thing that that I find very strange is how they, at certain places where there is no light, the cars have the right of way and it's turning left or turning right or something like this. And I constantly make that mistake and people are... Uh, at me but uh mm. is this when you're driving yeah but it can happen when you're walking too because uh. just in the middle of berlin a normal city street somehow they have the right of way to keep going when in a, from a north american perspective they have the duty to stop and it's mm -hmm. quite quite strange yeah and this is after how many years in germany well i guess i'm getting up to five or six now um total uh, but, yeah, I mean, some of the other things, I'm just not social enough to have experienced them. Like, you know, I'm, I, I never go across Bretzel uh, cellars and, and uh, to the point where I must be sucked into their offerings. Uh, although I have started to get into bread lately, but never Bretzels. Uh, bretzel. um, I think Bretzel but, is a southern thing anyway. Because, like, in Berlin, yeah. that wouldn't be a Bretzel that you'd you'd really come across but you no. see again germany is so versatile so rich and somebody who just learns german for the sake of mastering german and goes i just want to have a conversation with natives um i think that puts that puts such a strange um i hate it when people say that to a certain extent because i think yeah the native speaker fine but i think that puts such a it it puts natives in a corner with 
lions in a zoo or something. It just makes them this sort of this exotic, crazy thing. But they're just people who eat pretzels or don't. You know, so I, I love this, this perspective. I love talking to people who have lived abroad for so, so long and they say, yeah, it's still kind of an alien world. Yeah. You know, one of the things with this list post is that it doesn't include, it includes these sort of fickle things, but it doesn't include the real stark and shocking things that you would encounter, especially if you're from a first world country as an immigrant, as opposed to a third world country, because the differences in treatment can be very extreme. And so that's one interesting thing, like the level of patience that is given to you if you're from Canada as opposed to from Turkey or Africa or something like that and and if you have a doctor title like I do you can you can claim that you deserve an academic or fertile every time that you're late right <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and so there's just different levels of tolerance and different levels of patience and 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 there's certain things that being a Canadian academic can't buy you patients for because the person at the cashier has no way to determine that. Mm -hmm. So, well, it, yeah, it shows about Germany being an extremely um, historically an extremely hierarchical society where people have always looked to where is the authority uh, in a piece of paper or in a title, and you know there's still that in Germany. Yeah. Yeah, it's it, it, it's totally fascinating. And I think that it's one thing that you can only experience if you spend a significant amount of time in a place and have to deal with the architecture of an immigration office and that kind of massive amount of paperwork that this list is talking about. Because it's more than just the amount of paperwork or papier cram and papier krieg. It's also about how it its tendrils get into every part of your life and your confidence and and it can be uh, it, it, you really grow as a as a human being but you have to come with a spirit of adventure and so so many people don't their system and all these archaic laws and and, you know, there's a reason why the word Kafkaesque became such a prevalent word, even though he wasn't here in Germany. But nonetheless, there's certain heritage that's shared in terms of the bureaucratic uh, weight on people's shoulders. But at the same time, once you get used to it and once you get into it, so much of it makes so much sense. And if you can if you can uh, capitalize upon the systems that are there and understand them and penetrate them, then great things can happen. For instance, I just got into the uh, Kunstler Sozialkasse or Kaska. And so essentially now I'm in a writer's union, so to speak, and I get a certain amount of my health insurance paid and they put money into my uh, my pension, so to speak, because writers don't have anything like that. But because I understood the system, took the effort to figure out what's available to me, even as an immigrant and even as an immigrant that hasn't naturalized during – well, I have naturalized because I did a orienteering course, but nonetheless – you know what I'm saying? There's there's actual uh, a positive uh, I, uh, element to the sheer volume of paperwork, as this list post puts it. It brings it back to this sort of, I think, thinking of, say, in your case, the Germans, or in my case, if I did that thing and went, uh, the Brits, thinking of them as the natives, you know, those the, the, this crazy race, the natives, this foreign uh, utility... Um, that that is designed to you know just just be your practice ground. That is not really entering a society and working with it. And that is not, in my opinion, what language learning is about. Language learning is about opening yourself up to a whole new different way of doing things and a whole new system. And um, this is kind of funny. I I, I once. Because I like these list posts because they make you giggle a little bit. Um, that's pretty much, you know, what they what they do. But they also have this sort of subtext of really making it clear that there is so much more than language. There is so much more behavior. You know, like you say about East Germans um, and the different way that they think, and then the Saarbrücken Ohren and you know what people say. And there is just so much more behind it. And to me, you know, as a as a German expat in Britain. There's, there's the same thing. Like, I, I remember the first time I had a car here 
I was going all around looking for winter tires, you know, to put onto my car. Could I find anywhere where people put winter tires on their car? No, because they don't do it in this country. And that's because in Britain, it's always gray, rainy and between 10 and 15 degrees. And if anything else happens with the weather, they are so terrified that they don't really leave the house anyway. So 25 degrees here, Daily Mail will write a headline about heat waves. Five degrees here, traffic, gridlocks and no trains go. It is incredibly different to Germany and, and where I've grown up and to understand and embrace a different world is part of expat life and it's much much more than just oh I'm going to get good at this language yeah absolutely um, and there's so many different things that you become aware of the more countries that you can live in and the more parts of the world you can experience even inside of a country living in different cities and it's pretty fascinating Mm -hmm. So, coming to the end of our podcast episode, which has been a little meandering, but hopefully still um, helps people out, and you know, just just full of insights. Because I love I love talking to I love talking to you when you when you're in this mode of being very analytical and really talking in depth. I think that's awesome. Um, so I, I I like to I like to hear more about the the deeper thoughts and the deeper you know reasons why we do stuff. Um, coming to the end of the podcast, I always do this thing with my guests where I have researched three different language learning tips, um, partly taken from blog articles, partly from recommendations that I make, um, and I'm going to read all three of these tips out to you, describe them a little bit, and you as the guest have the honour and duty of picking your favourite and explaining why, if you if you will. How does that sound? Sounds good. Okay. Right, so tips of the week. Um, this week, tip number one is going to be chosen by Anthony Metivier from the Magnetic Memory Method. Tip number one, label things. No matter whether you use post-it notes that you've written yourself, you use tools like vocabulary stickers or flash sticks or whatever you have, just label things in your home with the foreign language equivalent so that every time you're using them and every time you see them, you will automatically have a little kick in your memory of what the foreign language equivalent of that is. You can go one further and label things with post-its and write whole sentences on them. Um, for, for example, on my alarm clock it says spokoinoinochi, which, which I can't pronounce right um, off the top of my head, but that's Russian for good night. And on my computer screen it says dobrydien, which is hello. <laughs> Okay, so number one, label things. Number two, use Instagram for your language learning documentation. Um, Instagram now includes the option to upload or record video content. And Lindsay Dow from Lindsay Does Languages has written um, an article recommending that language learners use Instagram for language learning, get mutual support through using hashtags, um, and the video limit, time limit, is 15 seconds that you can upload, which is ideal if you're in the early stages of learning a language and you just want to practice a few basic lines. So Instagram is a nice little tool there. Tip number three, get onto a MOOC. A MOOC is a massive open online course and various universities are offering language courses and language related courses such as the British website futurelearn.com currently has got Introduction to, to Dutch, which has just started. It's offered by the University of Groningen. Um, understanding Language, Learning and Teaching, Beginner's Guides to Learning English and Writing English in Universities, and Understanding IELTS. So these are free. These are taken by hundreds to thousands of people at the same time, and they are completely online. So we have labels, Instagram, and MOOCs. What do you think? Well, I'd say the most interesting is using Instagram, and I don't think you even need to do that. But if you're fortunate enough to be in a foreign country and you can have a camera, then you can take pictures of signs and different things that are in windows uh, and then later go and figure out what those words are and what those phrases mean and learn a lot that way. So that's uh, one thing I've done a lot. And yeah, I mean, all of the suggestions are cool, but what I would suggest for having post-it notes all over the place is instead of having the word, 
write down the mnemonic and the associative imagery that you created uh-huh. in order to in order to help you recall that word because instead of just becoming blind to spokone noche or uh, whatever the case may be you have to see whatever it was that you used to memorize that word so i would see spokes on a bike and uh maybe uh a nacho with a big no sign on it or whatever, right? So that would be for me, Spicone Noche, Noche, <laughs> and um, and that's what I would have on it on a stick it note, a sticky note, not the word, not but the actual image that would let me recall the word because then I'm practicing what I need to do in real language learning situations, which is to see an image in my mind that brings back the word or the connections that bring back the word. And uh, that's what I would want to see on oh my, my sticky notes. I love that. I love that. That is so good. That's so good. Well, I, I mean, there's no right or wrong to it, but that 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 would be my suggestion to people who want to use, mm-hmm. uh, start using mnemonics in a stru- structured way. And what do you make of MOOCs? Well, for language learning, I've never taken one, and also I've taken different ones for different purposes, but most of them don't have a follow-up mechanism, so they can be easily forgotten. You just join them, and then that's basically it, (laughs) and you never hear from them again, so you don't go back and engage in them, but I I, I don't know enough enough of them to make an umbrella claim like that, Mm. but that's been my experience so far. And they also often seem to me overly complex. And so it's, again, back to this theme of having to learn how to use the tool before that you can even get started. And so like a grammar book where you have to learn how to read a grammar book or you have to learn to how to read a language learning book before you can really use it, that can be a barrier for many MOOCs. And I find that when I go into them, I'm just totally overwhelmed by where things are and what f- the flow is. And I think in the future they'll be a lot better and much more guided and animated, but they do often strike me as extraordinarily clunky. Yeah, yeah, I think they are, well, you know, it's it, it, it almost feels like, well, this is what you're getting for free. Oh, well, paid products can be the same, but yeah, true, at, at the end of the day, one is often more motivated to use a paid product because of having paid for it. Now, that's not universally true. That's what we often hear, but it is it is a greater assurance that you'll use something if you paid for it, but that's not a guarantee that the paid product is going to be any more well structured than a MOOC. But uh, mm-hmm. it's it's worth it's worth it for the sake of comparison to try both and see what you're getting results from because you won't lose with the free version, and any good paid product has a, at least a a thirty day guarantee or if not longer. So that's right. That's right. So, and I mean you. You know, hopefully, what you, part of what you're paying for, if you pay more, is is also a personal attention and somebody really following up with you, which I think is incredibly worthwhile. Um, and I've noticed this many, many times with my students, and often I've heard when I hire a tutor, I just t- I just show up, and I am the same in my in my business life. You know, when I have a coach or somebody there, I show up. I actually do things, and I have somebody you know querying me on it. It's just nice to be able to share so MOOC perhaps a little isolated for some of us okay so your favorite tip uh, Instagram yeah or let me choose two the first two but the first one being conditioned by actually not having the words on the on the sticky note but the, uh, an image that prompts you to recreate that word imaginatively Yes, I think that's wonderful, really, for, you know, for, for many, many people. That just brings it one further, you know, just draw the association. Love it. It's good. Okay. And then take pictures of those and put them on Instagram. <laughs> yes! <laughs> and then use a hashtag and get the support from people who are also learning. I think that's, yeah, we've, you know, this, you've got a method there. You've got a method in the madness of language learning. Anthony, we've got to, uh, well, we're coming to the end of the podcast, um, would you do me the honors of telling me where people can find you online, how to spell your name, etc.? <laughs> well, the website is magneticmemorymethod.com, and I've actually got a four free video series for people who want to 
learn how to make a memory palace and how to use it. So you just go to magneticmemorymethod.com and you'll see where to get that series right at the top of the page, every page. And there's all kinds of material there, podcasts. And, you know, speaking of following up with people, I email frequently and some people find it a little bit overwhelming, but I just want to give as much possible attention to people who are interested in using their memory. And that's uh, what I would suggest is, you know, don't worry about how my last name is spelled or pronounced. Just come to magneticmemorymethod.com and you'll see and hear it enough to <laughs> to get familiar with the spelling and sound of my last name. That's right. And if you are a podcast listener and you haven't listened to Anthony's podcast yet, that you can also find that on magneticmemorymethod.com. Um, and I can strongly recommend it if you're interested in memorizing pretty much anything. So Anthony talks to language learners, but he also talks to people who have used and mastered memory and the different learning methods that come with that in other areas of their life. So it's an extremely interesting one. Um, and I would recommend the Magnetic, is it the Magnetic Memory Podcast? Magnetic Memory Method Podcast, yep. That's excellent, yeah. Yeah, so guys, check it out. Um, and that was my guest for today. So lots of really rich and interesting, and we got Freudian, we got deep <laughs> in this. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. It was a great time. No, no problem. You're welcome, Anthony. And it was, you know, thank you for your time. Thank you very much, guys, for listening to the episode and the interview in episode 14 of the Creative Language Learning Podcast. Um, I think memory palaces are extremely creative and also want to recommend a National Geographic series that you're going to find in the show notes, um, which my, my fiancé made me watch yesterday, and I found it really interesting. It's about the different ways that our brain is wired and there's a, an episode about attention and memory which is really really interesting lots of little um, brain tricks and shortcuts in there that you can use to become a better person at remembering things um, and as we have many as we have discussed many times and as you can read in the vocab cookbook it goes from linguistic association to the association of meaning to storytelling up to the extent of building a whole memory palace. And there's this guy, um, clearly a memory champion, absolutely amazing, who memorized five serial numbers of five different dollar bills in 60 seconds. And it's fascinating to watch, really interesting and um, fascinating thing to engage with. And um, that is on... Netflix where you can wherever you live you can get it on Netflix and I'll put it in the show notes for you as well and just in case you want to do something nice and you're interested in early access to the podcast and special thank yous and rewards from fluent language tuition please check out my patreon page for the complete information about how you can get language learning motivation week by week and even more support from me in text and in audios and that is at patreon.com patreon.com slash fluent language you can support fluent without any commitment from just a dollar a month and i would love to hear from you if you're interested in any specific questions or if you've got any ideas for the podcast that's about it from me Bye, guys. Thanks for listening to the Creative Language Learning Podcast, guys. Don't forget to subscribe and to rate the podcast in iTunes or on Stitcher. That's always very much appreciated. If you have any feedback or you've got any questions, you can email me, Kirsten, K-E-R-S-T-I-N, at fluentlanguage.co.uk, or you can find me on Facebook, Fluent Language Tuition, or on Twitter, at Kirsten Hammers, that is K-E-R-S-T-I-N, H-A-M-M-E-S. -M -M -E 